0: The format on those notes is a little unusual. We're going to start on page 29. It looks like it should be opposite because there's only a partial 29th page and a full 30th page, but uh, start on page 29. And we're going to be talking about persecution in uh, the life of Jesus and how quickly Uh, persecution began. I mean, of course we know about the crucifixion and and the rejection of Christ, but persecution began just almost immediately with the followers of Jesus, and, uh, it's important for us to know that that's the case because we shouldn't think it's strange as Peter says it concerning the fiery trial that is to try you as though some strange thing happened. It's not strange for Christians to have persecution. Apostles John the Baptist Jesus himself had persecution and we just have to know that that's how life is if you're going to follow Jesus now it's true that in America we don't necessarily have a lot of persecution but it takes some real courage if you go to the public high school uh, if you're a young fellow or girl in the military You're going to be beaten up a little bit if you'll stand for Jesus. And it's not much fun. Uh, I have distinct memories of being mocked and ridiculed for my faith as a young person in high school. And I didn't like it much. And neither will you, undoubtedly. So there is a price to pay for being a real Christian witness, uh, a straight arrow for Jesus in this culture and I hope that this will encourage you this evening as we look at John the Baptist's persecution and then Jesus' own persecution to stick to your guns you can do this and be brave and just know that all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution this is what it is to follow Jesus so let's look at some of the things that are going on Right off the bat, Jesus' ministry. We're talking about John the Baptist being persecuted for speaking the truth. Persecution meaning in the beginning, imprisonment, and then later, execution in prison. So, And this all seems to begin very early in Jesus' ministry. I'm trying to give you the timeline of some of these early things because we forget how much is crowded into a short time at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And John the Baptist was put in prison almost the moment we're introduced to Jesus' official public ministry. So you see the timeline and implications there, just a little description of that. When Jesus taught Nicodemus in Jerusalem, it says John the Baptist had not yet been cast into prison. That's John chapter 3. But John must have been in prison shortly afterwards because when Jesus heard that John had been put into prison, he departed into Galilee. That's Matthew chapter 4. Well, we know that on his way back from Galilee, uh, to Galilee, from Jerusalem, he met the woman at the well. That's John chapter 4. So in other words, when he's speaking to Nicodemus, uh, shortly after his very first Passover, um, John is not in prison. But when he speaks to the woman at the well, John is in prison. And there's not much time in between John 3 and John 4. So John the Baptist is in prison very shortly after Jesus' first Passover. And we think that his earthly ministry uh, begins in earnest with February. So uh, Passover is March, April. Well, we're just months into Jesus' introduction to his people uh, in a public way. And John the Baptist is already in prison. Uh, so you see after the uh, parentheses there where it says John chapter 4 verses 1 through 43. The Synoptic Gospels report about John the Baptist's execution, not his imprisonment now, but his execution, right before they mention the feeding of the 5,000. And John's Gospel connects the feeding of the 5,000 with, G- with Jesus' next Passover visit to Jerusalem. That's John chapter 6 verse 4. This might suggest that John was in prison A few months short of two years from just after Jesus' first Passover, an interview with Nicodemus, to about the time of Jesus' third Passover in John 6, 4. This also leads us to conclude that John the Baptist was probably beheaded near the Passover season one year before Jesus was crucified the following Passover season. Now I know that's confusing and it's even more confusing because we have an issue. So... If I were rewording these notes, I did it uh, a little while back and I didn't realize I had that awkward arrangement. I would have made that little note clear where you have the, the fine print. But you know we have an issue. Here's the issue. We know that Jesus has an early Passover uh, in connection with his interview with Nicodemus and the cleansing of the temple very early, John chapter uh, 2 and 3 in that time frame. So we know that's a Passover. But in chapter 5, it says there was a feast of the Jews. And it doesn't say that that's a Passover. Most people think, yeah, that was probably a Passover because that feast of the Jews is it's a very important feast. And so probably that was a reference to Passover. That's John chapter 5. Uh, we know, there's no doubt, that in John chapter 6 we have another Passover. It's mentioned. So the question is, Was John 5 a Passover? We have one in early John. We have John 5, a feast. We have John 6, Passover. So was John 5 in the middle? Was that also a Passover? If John 5 is another Passover, then you have the Passover in connection with the interview with Nicodemus. You have John 5, that's Passover number 2. And you have John 6, that's Passover number 3. So is John 5 a Passover? We don't know. Since we don't really know that, we don't know for sure how long John the Baptist was in prison. If he's in prison for one year from, you know, essentially the Nicodemus Passover to the John 5 Passover, that's, that's one year. And then there would be another year uh, after that, the John 6 Passover. So we don't know exactly where we are with these Passovers. And uh, that's why there's some question about how long John was in prison uh, If Jesus' total ministry is three and a half years, it's possible that John was in prison essentially two Passovers, two years, and then he was executed one year before Jesus in the Passover season, uh, one year before Jesus was crucified in another Passover season. So we have some question about this, but what we really don't have much question about is how early in the ministry John the Baptist is put in prison. So Jesus is just barely getting going well, and already the persecution, John the Baptist in prison. All right, now Mark 6:17. Mark 6:17 tells us that Herod resented John's reprimand about his adultery with his own sister-in-law. Uh, specifically, Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John, bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias' brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Because John said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herod resented John for reprimanding him about that. John also confronted Herod about all the evils which Herod had done, according to Luke chapter 3, verse 19. So John was reprimanding Herod uh, as the messenger of God. And Herod didn't like it one bit, so to prison he goes. Alright, now the first bullet under that Mark 617 reference. While it is not our mission in life to go around pointing out the sins of others, there are times when we, as messengers of God, are obligated to point out the sins of others. For example, when our genuine concern for someone makes an appeal necessary, or when we have been officially appointed to train or lead another person, parents must point out the faults of their children. Church leaders must point out the faults of their congregation. Advisors, confidants are obligated to point out the faults of other people. When our input is solicited, we have to point out the sins of others. They asked us, you know, what do you think of the whole homosexual marriage thing? Well, what do you think of it? Say so. Um, I always remember there was this time long ago when George W. Bush was running for president and uh, he was being interviewed. I can't remember who the interviewer was, perhaps Barbara Walters. And she asked him, is homosexuality a sin? I'm watching this on TV. I'm thinking, say yes, 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 say it, say it, yes. And he just couldn't do it. He said, well, we all have sins in our lives. Uh, no person's sin is worse than another. You know, I'm sure that, you know, they they have sins in their lives and I have sin in my life. It's like, the answer is yes. Just say it. Your input is solicited. Say it. Um, and there's the additional possibility that we have for you there when we're presenting the gospel to others in order to establish the individual's accountability before God. You can't dodge this issue all the time. John the Baptist was at great risk telling Herod that he had sinned. And you're going to be at great risk if you are going to be a messenger of God. You're going to have to be brave. You're going to have to have the brass to stand up there and say, yes, this is a sin. It doesn't mean that I hate you. It doesn't mean that I wish you dead. It doesn't mean that I wish you to blow a hole through the rooftop of hell as you enter. I'm just saying it's a sin. You want to know? The answer is yes, it's a sin. And so on these hot button issues of our culture, it takes a lot of courage to stand fast. I still always remember uh, being in difficult situations and it is not comfortable uh, as a, Probably say, 15 year old kid, this fellow, I work at a laundromat at night cleaning the floors and everything. This fellow, it's in an apartment complex area. This fellow stops in and he's a Golden Gloves boxer and he likes me and he's older than I am. And, you know, he and I have this rapport. He says, oh, my little brother, same age as you. He's coming over to my house tonight. How about uh, if you stop over after work? So I go up there. And um, I meet his brother. We're talking a little bit. I'm a little uncomfortable being in this guy's apartment. And all of a sudden, here comes the marijuana cigarette being passed around. So I am all by myself. There's not a Christian in sight. And I like this guy. Uh He and I have chatted. We've enjoyed each other. And I'm supposed to take the marijuana cigarette next. And I pass it on. And I just got to get out of there. You know, it's like... Does everything have to be so socially awkward? I'm just a kid. Why does it have to be like this? I'm in the back of the school bus. Here comes the marijuana cigarette. I say no. And then naturally, the neighborhood kid said, oh, here's Dave No, 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 no. Yeah. We're in biology class. The guys are talking about their bedroom conquests. And, uh, oh, Dave, you know, he's not interested in girls. He only likes motorcycles. Like, yeah. It's not much fun. And uh, if you're going to speak the truth, if you're going—not that you're looking for trouble, right—but if you're going to speak the truth, if you're going to be a servant of God, you're you're going to get hit, and um, it's not that much fun. Sometimes it's a matter of money; um, the promotions don't come because you're not a good company man. You know, we're having the party and you don't participate. Oh, whatever. And then the other guy gets the promotion. It's it's hard to follow Jesus sometimes, but I hope you'll do it. And John the Baptist did the right thing. It would have been much easier on him, you know, if he didn't speak up. But he told Herod, it is wrong for you to have your brother Philip's wife. And that's just the way it is. I don't hate you, but but it's wrong for you to do that. Andy I think John is stolen and uh and yeah we we're not always asked, you know, our opinion, but there are times in life when you have to pipe up and say something. So pipe up. Uh John, Philip she was not a widow. Yeah, so John is asking if, you know, Philip's wife had become available through widowhood, it would have been different. But this is just one of those aristocracy intrigues that were so famous, uh, well, in all generations with aristocracy. Uh, the second bulleted point there. There will always be a great risk to calling out sin wherever we see it in society, especially in the lives of those who have the power to harm our livelihood, reputation, and standing in the eyes of those we care about. One of the worst things about all of this is that your reputation, your standing, is, is going to suffer. You know, it's just a fact, the whole thing about in life, it's not what you know, but who you know. Um, so you're always building bridges, you're networking, and there are times when you could climb the social ladder, with a bit of a compromise. Once again, go back to high school days. uh, There was this young lady in my high school who was pretty well connected. And um, she was interested in me in a romantic way. And I remember thinking, you know, this is how it's done. Uh, You get elevated in status by dating a girl like this. And she wasn't a Christian, so the answer was no. And it's hard to to turn down status, reputation, um, sometimes promotions at work. But that's what it is to follow Jesus. It is the normal thing that happens to Jesus followers. If you're going to be a Jesus follower, that's how it is. Uh, Joe and then Desi. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, we're not looking for a fight. Uh, you know, the servant of the Lord must not strive. But if people know, I mean, as, as you walk with the Lord for a while, here's what happens. Uh, I'm walking out of a store and this lady comes walking up to me and says, oh, do you have a light? And she, and she stopped almost before she finished the word light, said, no, you don't do you. You know, what do you think? You know, by looking at me, my family, what do you think? You think I smoke? You know, and not that smoking is the deal, right? You're thinking, uh, a homosexual walks up to me and my family. Does he need to ask me if I think homosexuality is wrong? What do you think? you see my family here? Do you see how we live our lives? What do you think? Do you think I think it's wrong? You don't oftentimes have to pick a fight. The people know where you are. What might happen is, They'll have suspicions that you think it wrong. You you do think it's wrong. And so they might ask you, hoping for some reassurance, uh, like if it was Barbara Walters with George W. Bush. People want to know. So, you know, give me a little reassurance here. Are you and I simpatico? I mean, we're okay. I'm homosexual and you're not. Are are we okay with that? The answer is, you know, I'm not God. You don't have to worry about whether I'm okay with it. But as the messenger of God, I'm telling you, that's a really big problem. Uh, That is what the Bible calls sin. And in Old Testament times, it was such a big problem, it was a capital crime. So is it okay with me? Like, I don't think you're accountable to me. But I'm telling you, as the messenger of God, it's a long, long ways from okay. So that doesn't mean I don't like you. I, I like you just fine. Uh, you know, I'll always be cheering for you. I'll always be wishing you the best in life. But you're asking me now, am I okay with it? Look at my family. Uh, before, the, before any words are shared, look at my family. What do you think I think about that? Now, since you ask me with words, here are my words. As a messenger of God, as a follower of Jesus, that's a really, really big problem. So I'm just telling you, that's what the Bible calls sin. And that is not acceptable today in our culture. It'll get you in big trouble. But that's what being a spokesperson for Jesus requires. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses to the world. And so be his witness. Say so. Uh, Desi. Yeah. Uh, The Herods were known to be vicious and as Jerry said even with their own family members to have all the sons executed and wild things like that so yeah just brutal people uh, brutal family and John undoubtedly knew that he was taking his life in his hands to uh, address the sins of Herod so good Tom well I think one of the things you said is really mission critical they do know in a way your entire life is a rebuke to what they're doing so That's what I'm saying. Do the people around you know what you're all about? Or are you so timid that they really have no idea? And you must not, you know, as a messenger of the gospel, you're supposed to be witnesses. But that witnessing doesn't necessarily require incessant chatter. You know, I'm reminding you since it's been about 10 minutes since I rebuked you, this is still wrong so let me repeat that rebuke. So not only do we not have to do it every 10 minutes, uh, at some level we really don't need to do it every 10 months. Our life is still a rebuke and you know that this is wrong and you know what I could tell you about it if I was going to address it again. So you live as a rebuke and my main concern is if we get so quiet do people even know that we're followers of Jesus do they even know where we stand and maybe we've been so quiet that they don't know but I have a hard time believing your guys don't know that so um first Vernon and then Kathy yeah I mean it's never fun to be in a situation it's not pleasant when you are the one who's off to the side but I'm happy. You know, it's, it's fine. You, 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 do, you do fine with those things. And the Lord gives grace. I, I mention every once in a while, I knew that I was being a spiritual baby. And I didn't like, at some point, I didn't like myself being so timid about the gospel. So at about 16 years old, I remember, and I think it was probably just one of those paperback living Bibles. But I remember, this is ridiculous. I mean, I am hiding and I took my, you know, paperback Bible, and I put it on top of my other, you know, couple of books that I had for homework. And uh, I remember standing there at the bus stop, with that Bible visible to everybody who passed by, and then getting on that bus and walking through the corridors of the high school with the Bible on top. And I remember thinking, "This is the worst thing I've ever done in my life. This is awful." but you know just quit being a baby you know if if you're going to follow Jesus then stand up and follow and and you just have to teach yourself uh my my boss you know I worked at McDonald's for like 3 days and I hated it hated it and uh and right then this other job came up it was the job where I'd be a small engine mechanic at the rental store and I did that for the last um, two years of my high school, and even a little bit after I graduated. And I mean, it was just a job I wanted. I just I just walked in. I told the guy, yeah, I work on these uh, lawnmowers, chainsaws, and motorcycles. And I'll work on your stuff. And uh, then I was at McDonald's three days. And Terry called me up and he said, you know, if you want a job here taking care of our stuff, then then you know, come on. And I was so glad to quit McDonald's and I went there and i have been there for a few weeks. Uh, The business, the rental store is owned by two brothers whom I to this day consider to be my friends, uh, Terry and Steve. And uh, Steve is looking out the shop window. I'm working on something and he's looking out the shop window and there is a neighbor girl walking by and uh, he makes lewd comments about what he'd like to do with her. And I didn't laugh and I I didn't say anything. And he looked over at me to see why there was no response. So I still remember I was squatting over this machine. I don't remember if it was a rototiller or what I had going. And my heart palpitating because now I have to answer him. So I looked up and I said, well, Steve, I'm a follower of Jesus. And I do everything I can in life as best I can to please him. And I wouldn't talk about girls like that or encourage you to do it. I'm sixteen years old, and I love this job. I don't want to leave this job and uh, I don't remember what he said, but it was okay, and he was a good friend, and everything was fine. But I went from that to working at the Suzuki shop, you know, for real motorcycle shop, and uh you know the pictures are around the wall. My service manager is very good with this stuff. he's way, way better than I am, and uh he's a biker. Same thing, always the same thing, you know, these, these uh, crude jokes and here's what we're going to laugh about and then I don't laugh and then, you know, so what's the deal? And always the same thing, I'm a follower of Jesus and I do everything as best I can to please him and I don't really talk that way. Like, okay, well then there's Dave over there by himself. And that's life. That is what it costs to follow Jesus if you're going to do that. And again, you know, I didn't have to say very much to my service manager. My entire life stood in contrast to him. There's nothing else to say. I mean, he knows. He would never dream of asking me, Dave, what do you think about getting drunk? What do you think about drugs? What do you think about the girls? He wouldn't dream of asking me that. And I don't need to constantly repeat it. It's, it's known every day Time I walk in the room, it's known, and there it hangs. You know, it's difficult when to when to say something. The, the danger is that you wouldn't dream of being caught with Jesus. That's terrible. Be caught with Jesus. Stand up and say so. But it's not always so much with your mouth. Uh, Kathy, I never came back to you. Yeah, well, I mean, there's definitely a place for witnessing to, to people you don't even know. That's everywhere in Scripture, but you know, do you have any reason to think that you're going to see this guy tomorrow and the next day and the next day? If so, you probably don't want to drive him away today so you don't have any opportunity tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And uh, I I really think that the feeling in our culture is that when a gospel bomber walks up to somebody and, and says, are you going to hell? The feeling that the person has the knee-jerk reaction is excuse me do I even know you you're going to talk to me about the most personal things in the whole wide world and I don't even know you and that is our culture maybe in another culture that would be a lot more acceptable but you do that here, and you might find that you're building more resistance to the gospel than receptivity. And the last thing I think you want to do, or Avalon wants to do, is run around here building resistance to the gospel. So there has to be willingness here to build a relationship and, and be uh, personally involved and sensitive. Kathy, yeah. Well, and, and knowing that people are all in different places. So, for example, I read some time back about a fellow who was pumping gas and this other fellow is just kind of hanging around and uh, the gas pumper guy was a Christian and this other guy's just kind of hanging around. And so the Christian guy just says something to him and almost immediately launches into a gospel presentation and that guy who was just hanging around became a Christian right then and there. And he said, that's good because I was going to go home today and kill myself. So there is a time to, you know, say something. You're not going to see the, that. was at a gas station. You'll never see this guy again. Does he seem interested in you? Why is he hanging around? You know, give him a chance to to show what he's interested in. And, uh, you know, you, you probe by saying, hi, how you doing? And the next thing is... You know, are you from around here? You know, what do you do for work? And the next thing is, uh, so what are your hobbies? What are you into? And and the next thing, are you a church guy? What church do you go to? I'm a church guy. I'd like for you to come to church sometime. Oh, yeah, have you heard the gospel? Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, What if he lets you tell the gospel right then and there and he's not trying to get away? Well, tell the gospel, you know. Say something. You're a messenger. Bring the message. But if he's trying to get away, if you're going to see him day after day, There might be a better time to do that. Just, you know, different things in different contexts. Well, good. So if you look at Jesus' rejection in Nazareth, I think it's also great that as soon as we have John in prison, we have Jesus passing the woman at the well in Samaria on his way up to Galilee, his hometown is Nazareth. And the moment he hits Nazareth, big trouble. There was persecution right from the get-go. I'm not going to have you read the long uh, scripture passage that I provided, but if you look at the bulleted points... After meeting with Nicodemus in Jerusalem, stopping off in Samaria to win the woman at the well, Jesus went to back to Nazareth, which is his hometown. At each Sabbath gathering in the synagogue, and there is obviously a synagogue in Nazareth, the MC of the meeting, sometimes called the ruler of the synagogue, the MC of the meeting would invite any man in attendance who had something of importance to say to address the gathering. We have an example of that in Acts chapter 13, when Paul is on his missionary tour. And um, as you can see from the text, well, let's read it. We have that much time. When they departed from Perga, came to Antioch, to Syria, went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, sat down after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue said unto them, uh, you men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. And so Paul stood up. And that was the typical synagogue format. It would be a little bit like here if we got to about 1030 on Sunday morning. Uh, any of you gentlemen have anything you'd like to say to us? And you could jump up and say something if you wanted to. That was the synagogue format. Well, that's what happened when Jesus went to his hometown synagogue in Nazareth. So the third bullet point, when Jesus addressed his hometown audience, he chose to read Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. And you'll see in the scripture passage we've provided for you, if you go up there to verse 18, about five lines down, he read, Jesus read from Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He closed the book, gave it again to the minister, ruler of the synagogue, sat down and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. So the third bullet, when Jesus addressed this audience, he chose to read Isaiah 61, one and two, but only part of verse two. And that's so interesting. Beginning halfway through what we call verse two, because of course there were no verses until you get to about 1500. Um, so beginning halfway through what we call verse two, the blessings of the Messiah switch from the kind of personal healing and help that came to Jesus' followers at his first coming to the national blessings that shall come upon all Jewish people at his second coming, the vengeance of our God on those who rebel the rebuilding of Israelite cities that lay in ruins, the subordination of Gentiles to Jews, the material prosperity of Jews, that kind of thing. So notice here that the fulfillments of Jesus' first and second coming blessings now, at this point in our calendar, separated from one another by 2,000 years, are separated by nothing more than a comma halfway through verse 2 in this text. A tiny comma in English, knowing there are no commas in Hebrew, but a tiny comma equals 2,000 years in Isaiah. In fact, the messianic age blessings of both comings of Christ are usually blended together in Old Testament prophecies. So I just think that's so interesting to notice that we have a comma and that represents 2,000 years between the personal healing Uh, Jesus healing everybody 2,000 years ago and the national healing, you're going to be prosperous. You're going to subdue the Gentiles. Uh, That's all one verse. And it's separated by this comma that equals 2,000 years. And you have to just know when you're reading the Old Testament, uh, the, the blessings of the first and second coming are smashed together and sometimes even inverted and spun around. But just get used to that. That's the way of the prophets. And that's why the disciples had such a terrible time thinking that Jesus is going to be crucified. I mean, we get the whole thing about, you know, preaching the gospel to the brokenhearted. And we get the thing about the Gentiles being subdued to us. How do you put a crucifixion in there? You know, we don't want it. The Disciples would say, we don't want a crucifixion in there. Let's Let's finish this. Let's make the, the good part come right away. And here it's been 2,000 years since the national blessings. Uh, the third bullet from the bottom. Like Jesus' hometown audience, when we pause long enough to pay attention, we wonder at the gracious words that proceed out of his mouth. That's in verse 22. I do love that. They're mesmerized. Uh, they're astonished. And the Bible still does that to us. Um, the second to last bullet. When the Nazarenes began to question whether they were getting too carried away, you know, they wondered at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. So they started to say, hey, are we getting carried away with this? When they began to wonder about that, uh, almost saying out loud, you know, we have to get a hold of ourselves. Isn't this man just a local nobody, just a carpenter? When they did that, Jesus predicted their coming unbelief and hostility. This is in verses 23 through 29. He said, the day is going to come when you say to me this proverb, physician, heal thyself, whatever you've done in Capernaum, do here in Nazareth where we are. And he says, no prophet has honor in his own country. So when he heard them saying, hey, isn't this just the carpenter? He said, let me tell you what's going to happen here. I'm not going to have any honor in Nazareth. And uh, you are going to question me on every level. And when he Predicts that unbelief and hostility. In their rage, they mobbed Jesus, intending to throw him off the cliff. It says in verse 29 they rose up and thrust him out of the city, led him to the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. They persecuted Jesus. This is again months. Maybe we're in the summer and he started his public appearances in February, and we're probably now in the summer, months, and uh, already they want to kill him. The persecution comes early on. And the last bullet there, Jesus miraculously disappeared in the mob. In verse 30, it says, he passing through the midst of them went his way. Now you can imagine, yeah, a mob, you know, could get all excited and uh, they're not paying attention and he slips by them. But uh, as you see in your notes, this also happens in John eight fifty nine and ten thirty nine, and maybe in chapter five verse thirteen, uh, it is miraculous. Jesus is just slipping away from them, and uh, so anyway, putting all of the pieces together from tonight's lesson, uh, John. Well, you're right. I did skip over. If you look in verse twenty six, or actually twenty five, we need the other half of it, and uh, so he says there's this this famine. Uh, in the land of Israel, but then Elijah didn't help any of them. He went and helped a lady from Sidon. And so he's essentially, same thing with Naaman the leper. He's saying, your unbelief is going to keep me from helping you and you're going to be the problem and not the solution. So he basically was saying, I'm rejecting you in in anticipation of your hostility and unbelief. I'm rejecting you, but it's because you're rejecting me. And so they were pretty upset. Josiah. It, it is prefiguring a whole bunch of Gentiles who are responding to the gospel better than a whole bunch of Jewish people. But at any rate, what we gather is the persecution. If you're going to follow Jesus is uh, a certainty. Some people have it much worse than others. You know, It's one thing to be ostracized or disenfranchised. It's another thing uh, to live in North Korea. Uh, to live in Iran, so we don't have that. But if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to take some courage, and God bless you. Carry on.